You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Tonight's message uh, is titled from what's included in this passage, but it's actually what got me on this, this, this word itself was something that God put on my heart, and it's this, count the cost, count the cost. Luke chapter 14, Luke chapter 14 is where we're gonna be. Uh, starting in verse 13, Jesus said, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just, that is at the end when God rewards faithfulness and he he gives us eternal reward, not just something temporary, but eternal. Uh, But then then somebody out of that conversation speaks up, you know, because there's always one in a room. There's always one person that kind of, I sometimes in the hat where I just want to like throw in something, you know, it's open mouth, insert foot. Uh, I'm going to say something even, anybody not like awkward silence? That's me. I don't like awkward silence. So I'm going to say something. And, and here's what one of the guys said. He said, now one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things that said, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And Jesus in response tells them a parable. He said, a certain man gave a great supper, a great dinner, and invited many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come for all things are now ready. But they with one accord began to make excuses The first said to him, I've bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it, and I ask you to have me excused. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another, a third person says, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master, and then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets, the lanes, the city, and bring in the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. The very ones that Jesus said to invite to our own party as the church, as God's people. He says, and the servant said, master, it's done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways, the hedges, and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. We're gonna come back to the rest of that chapter in a moment where Jesus mentions this phrase, count the cost. But I love this first parable because it starts out of a meal. It starts out of a conversation where Jesus says, "Don't, don't try to assert yourself and push yourself forward, but allow others to honor you. Don't honor yourself, allow others to do that. And he says, in fact, when you throw a party, invite people that cannot repay you, not just your friends, not just those that will bless you back in return, but he says, give with no expectation of return. And then he gives a parable to describe what God has actually done for us. He has invited us. We were the lame, the maimed, the broken, the lost, the hurting. And he, he invited us because we could not repay him. We were the ones that were invited to the party. And today, for those that are taking notes, this message, the first point is this. We need to accept his invitation. This is an amazing invitation that begins with a statement. And here's the statement. All things are ready in the house. The party's prepared, the table is set, the servants are ready, the the chairs have been aligned, everything is in position, and the house is ready to invite those that are, 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 are coming to the party. But here's what happens. The first group that is invited 
Before he gets to those that cannot repay, he starts with a crowd that would be considered the in crowd. And he calls them. And he says, I want you to come. And I want you to come to this party that's already been prepared. You don't have to bring anything. You don't have to bring anything. My, my wife's good about that for me. Like sometimes I just like to show up to stuff. And she's like, no, we gotta make sure we bring something. Don't show up empty-handed, bring something. But here's what, here's, what the, here's what the king or the master of this feast is saying. I've already got everything ready. And can I just tell you what this story's about? God has set the table for every single person alive on planet earth, including you. God has already prepared everything we need. God has already invited us to a feast that's unlike anything we could ever experience on planet earth. God has already provided. Here's what Ephesians chapter one, verse three says. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. That means everything I need is actually found in God. Do you need hope? There's more than enough hope in God. Do you need peace? There's more than enough peace. I love that we serve a God, not of scarcity, but a God of abundance. He doesn't just have happy meals at the table. I like happy meals, how about you? But he actually has a feast. He has more than enough. He did not create enough, just enough water for your next drink of water. He didn't create just enough air for your next breath of air. But he's created more than enough for what we need and he's invited all of us to the table. But the question is, will we be like the in crowd that did not accept the invitation? Those that were most positioned to respond, to respond to the invitation, here's what they did. They all, with one accord, began to make excuses. I've got a few excuses for you. This is not to inspire anybody, by the way. This is not to give you an arsenal of excuses. Uh, we see the three that are listed there. You know, I've got business, I got family, I just got married, I've got, we, there, there's lots of, and, and can I just say, from a natural standpoint, these are all legitimate excuses, like, how many know when you got newly married, your wife had a plan for your life? And some things were gonna change. You're no longer a bachelor. Like, there's some things that are gonna be rearranged in your life. That's a good thing. But here's what I want you to understand. There's things that are needed and necessary in life, but if they keep us from the feast, if they keep us from heaven's invitation, if they keep us from our heavenly calling and our relationship with God himself, they're inferior, and they're an excuse. And, and I usually give an excuse when I don't wanna tell somebody no and I'm afraid to hurt their feelings. So I try to come up with a good reason not to show up. Like I've gotta go, you know, I've gotta go rescue somebody. I've gotta go, you know, put out a burning fire in a building, you know, nothing like it. Okay, here's some excuses. These were, uh, I think, 11 excuses that are some of the funniest ones I could find of excuses why people didn't show up to work. And again, this is not to equip you. One employee was experiencing, this is why they called in, they were experiencing traumatic stress from a large spider they found in their home. And they had to stay at their house to deal with it. Another was an employee caught their uniform on fire by putting it in the microwave to dry it. Another excuse was an employee could not decide what to wear. I don't think anybody had that problem before church, right? You took, no, no, none of you. That would be the per people on first service Sunday morning. Um, I'm kidding. Uh, an employee was late because they overslept, listen to this, because their, their kids, these are actually true excuses, because their kids changed all the clocks in the house. 
I may have done something like that to a substitute teacher in high school. Confession time. Um, An employee said a cow broke into her house and she had to wait for the insurance agent. How many of you bosses would accept these excuses? Uh, Just a couple more. Uh, I like this one. An employee's fake eyelashes were stuck together. Uh, This one I think is valid. An employee said their mother-in-law would not stop talking. (laughs) An employee woke up in a good mood and didn't want to ruin it. (laughs) Jacob, why'd you say amen? Um, (laughs) I I like this one. Probably the most unusual. Uh, This person gave, the reason they didn't show up to work is because they were blocked in by the police who were raiding their house. That's legit, yeah, I mean, uh, last one, I just think this is funny. An employee forgot they had even been hired for the job. All right, so those are excuses. Number two, if you're taking notes, is show excuses the door. First, we need to accept the invitation, but then next, we need to show excuses to the door. Every one of these excuses was actually a reason not to accept the invitation. And if you can just put this in context, Jesus uses this parable, this story, to illustrate the fact that his, his invitation was open to everybody that was that was that was. A, a part of God's people, and yet people who were raised in the things of God, who had access to the word of God, would actually reject the invitation, and they would reject it for lesser things. They would reject it for things that are needed, good, fine, but they actually were keeping them from a feast that they were all invited to. And can I just remind you that today's excuses will be one day tomorrow's regrets. There's a story in Esther chapter one, we won't read it for time, where the king of Persia did something similar. He hosted a feast, and, and he, he hosted a feast for all of his people to show the splendor of his kingdom, and he threw a party that lasted, I think it was 180 days. and Imagine that, 180 days. Some of you have like some people over to your house for a couple hours, you're like, I'm exhausted, I'm done. He has a party for 180 days, and the last seven days are gonna be the pinnacle of it where he's gonna show off the greatest treasures of his entire kingdom, and he saves the best for last. You know what his last treasure was? It was his own wife named Vashti. The king of Persia called and invited her, but here's what Esther chapter one says. Vashti's name is beautiful. She's the bride of the king. She's the queen. She's second only to the king, and she is up to half the kingdom, and yet when she's invited at the king's command, Esther chapter one says, Vashti had her own party and didn't come at the king's call. Imagine that, that, can I just help somebody? The church is, if you didn't know, the bride of Christ. Imagine the king is calling his church, calling you and calling me to be a part of a, something that is amazing called the kingdom of God, and he's invited us. In fact, there's still room. He says there's room in the house. Even after all those who've been invited, there's still room. In fact, if you wanna know what's on the heart of God, it's that not only does he care about you and about me, but he's still looking at the one who's not here yet, the one who's not in his family yet, the one who's lost, the one who hasn't found Jesus yet. He still cares about them. I, I, I had a few years ago, we, we, were, we had our park event and I met somebody who was new visiting the church and, and uh, I, they, they came from religious background 
And their background uh, was fine, but they, they, they came and my opening conversation told me where things were gonna go because that day I think we had just celebrated like, I don't know, 100 people that year had come to Christ at least and, and God was doing so much and I, we're celebrating all these people coming to Jesus and, and the person's response to me was, well, that's fine, but I just like seven people in a church where everybody knows each other's name and I thought to myself, you're probably not gonna like this very long. <laughs> And well, he didn't. Um, anyway, and, and people say, well, why do you talk about the numbers of people coming to Christ? Why do you? Listen, I don't have one to three kids. I have three kids. Like it matters, and it matters to God who is saved and who doesn't yet know him. It matters to God. He's still looking at the empty seat at the table. Here's what happens is we've been invited to the table and there's all kinds of excuses. I've made excuses myself. And how often are we like Vashti in that story where when the king called, she goes, I got my own party. I got my own thing right now. I don't have time for that. I don't have time. Surrender, I will one day. That was my story. One day I'll follow you, God. One day I'll give it all. One day I'll say yes to Jesus. One day. Maybe that's where you've been right now. One day I'll go there. But can I tell you the feast is ready for you today. It's available today. Don't let today's excuses keep you from it. Let's go back to Luke 14, verse 22. The servant said, Master, it's done as you've commanded. There's still room. So he says, go out into the highways, the hedges. Compel them. Look at the urgency. Look at the heart behind it. Compel them to come in. Who is he gonna call to compel them? Well, we see it in the next couple verses, verse 25. And let's read the rest of, from 25 to 35, if you'll bear with me. I wanna read this from the New Living Translation. And here's what it says. A large crowd was following Jesus right after what he just taught. And he turned around and he says to them, if you wanna be my disciple, you must by comparison, and the reason I'm reading the New Living Translation is this next verse is one of the most misunderstood verses in the entire Bible. But here's what it says, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Like what in the world was Jesus hangry or what? But the reason it says by comparison, so, so if I hand you a flashlight and you go out into the dark tonight, anybody really excited about getting dark early? Nobody. <laughs> if you take a flashlight out in the dark, the darker the environment, the brighter the light shines. If you take that same flashlight out by comparison to the light of the sun, that flashlight gets overpowered, eclipsed even, where you can't see the light from that flashlight. It's as if it's not even working even though it is. And so he says, by comparison, all this love that we should have for people is almost looks like hate by comparison. Compared to what? Well, here's what he says. He says, if you don't carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. This is strong stuff. He says, but don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only a foundation before running out of money. Then everyone would laugh at you. I like how Jesus uses peer pressure to motivate. Everybody's gonna laugh at you for not finishing the job. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. 
Or what king among you would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 can defeat the 20,000 marching against him? And if he can't, he'll send a peace delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. I mean, he's just really going for it. He just took a crowd and is whittling through the, the reasons it was popular to follow him at that moment. Jesus, can, can I just tell you, Jesus was never afraid at offending minds to get to hearts. And sometimes he would say stuff that would shock people. Because, by the way, this is the same Jesus that said, love your enemies. Who would say of, the, of, of what the Old Testament, the greatest commandment of the Old Testament, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Are we supposed to love people? It's not a true question. Are we supposed to love people? Yes. Yeah, okay. Do you know what love is? Can I, can I help somebody? Do you know what biblical love is? There's actually several Greek words in the New Testament for love. The Greek language had a lot of different words, but there was a word that was entirely unused according to every record we have of ancient Greek writing until the New Testament. So either Jesus found a word and dusted it off or he created a word. That's what we, we don't know. But here's the word he uses for love, agape. Doesn't appear anywhere else in the Greek language that's written down outside of the New Testament. Jesus took that word to describe love. There's other words. There's phileo, which is brotherly love. There's eros, which is romantic love. But there's agape, which is a love that's not based on a feeling. Because feelings are great. But feelings are fickle. Feelings don't last. And agape is actually a decision, a choice of the will to look at an object and, and give everything for that object. To look at a person and see such value in that person that you're willing to sacrifice. That's what agape looks like. That's why when the New Testament describes what makes marriage work, it says husbands agape your wives, love your wives, lay down your life for your wife as Christ loved the church. So why in the world, if that's all true, would Jesus say by comparison, <laughs> hate all of that stuff, including your own life? He's using shocking language to draw a contrast to say, here's what it looks like to count the cost, to really love, to follow God. And it comes down to what point number three is, win the pull of priorities. Win the pull of priorities. There's always gonna be priorities in your life and priorities can be good and necessary, but what happens when priorities become excuses from the very thing we're invited into. I don't think it's an accident Jesus taught all of this about counting the cost right after this statement about the feast and saying everybody's invited, but it was actually the excuses that kept people from surrender, that kept people from accepting the invitation, that kept people from responding to God. And here Jesus uses a statement of commitment to say when you love God, it looks like by comparison, every other love is so inferior. As important as it, necessary it is, it is. And then he makes a statement that to me is absolutely shocking and it does offend the mind. What does he say? Verse, 30, uh, verse 33. 
He says, you cannot become my disciple without first giving up everything you own. Imagine having that at church membership class. <laughs> Do you know what he's saying? It's interesting that, that there's some things in my life that I still think I own. But I, when I realize that God owns it all and he's Lord of it all, then I realize I'm a steward of what belongs to him. Here's the difference. Do you know you can have things in your life but not let them have you? <laughs> Why is it? I, I remember a few years ago, I'll share the story from my, my testimony when I was, uh, I want to say 19 or 20, I'm in college, getting to serve Jesus, entered into a relationship with a person who's a Christian, goes to church, somebody I worked with, and about a year down the road, I'm praying, and, and I realize something. I realize I've never asked God about this relationship. I've never asked God, is this even something I should be involved with? I wonder how many decisions we make without first praying about it, without first talking to God about it. And, and I remember, here's what happened. I, I literally had this moment. It was one of the first times I ever heard God's voice. I just asked God. I'm just simply praying, God, what about this relationship? And God immediately spoke to me and said, let her go. And I'd like to say that at that moment, I was like Abraham, quickly, I listened and obeyed. But for four months, I had a conversation with God about it because I was worried about what people would think because we, well, we worked with a lot of our friends. We served together in ministry and church and, and we were around a lot of the same people. And my entire reason for ending that relationship was God told me. Sure he did. <laughs> but that was entirely true. And you know what ended up happening? When I, I actually, I'm at the point, four months down the road, I, I remember having a friend, a man who became a friend of mine, didn't know me from Adam, sitting in the backseat of my car, and I'm driving, we're going to an outreach like we have with River City Outreach, I'm driving him, and, and, and he's in the backseat, and he, he says, hey, do you love God, Brian? I'm like, yeah, of course I love God. I'm on my way to outreach. And then he, he asked me about this person. He says, you know, how do you feel about them? And then he asked me the next question, do you love God more than that relationship? And I knew exactly what he was talking about. The Holy Spirit gave him a prophetic word about it. I'm thankful for that because on the other side of obedience is something, I, I've told you this before, when God says no to something, it's because he's got a better yes. My better yes is sitting on the front row. Come on, somebody. <laughs> But I'm, I'm telling you that for a reason because there's some things that we're evaluating obedience based on what people think. What will people say? What will it cost? What will it cost? God actually gave me that specific phrase, count the cost, multiple times in 2019 when I was preparing and my wife and I were praying and fasting about God's direction to come and move here to plant River City Church. And the phrase God kept giving me in my own time with God was count the cost. And I wonder if in your life and mine, if there's areas where we've, we've, we've evaluated things, we go, oh, it just costs too much, I can't obey. Or I'm gonna do, maybe you're, you're doing what I did for four months, I'm, I'm putting it off, I'll get around to it. Do you know what delayed obedience is? Not obedience. I, I know this is strong tonight, but we got ice cream to make up for it, Okay. He says, you can't give up, you can't be my disciple without giving up everything you own. You, let, let's make this practical. 
Do you know what I realized as a husband and as a dad? I've got three amazing kids, but I don't own them. I've got an amazing wife, but I don't own this relationship. I'm privileged to serve as a pastor here at River City Church, but I don't own the church. My, 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 it's always funny, my, my daughter, she's here. Uh, when she was little, we'd be flying on airplanes and she'd be talking to people that don't know us from Adam. Like she'd start, I love my daughter, can start a conversation with anybody and their best friends. But she'll start talking to them and she's like, hey, do you know, and she starts naming people from our church here. As if like, if you're on a plane flying out of Iowa, you know everybody in Mason City. And she starts this conversation and she, she says, well, you, know, you, you probably don't know my dad. He owns a church. <laughs> like that's not the way this works. Um, but can I tell you what happens when you own something? It owns you. When you own something, you're afraid to lose it. When you own something, you're afraid to lay it on an altar. And that's what I believe part of what Jesus is talking about. What does it mean to count the cost? It means he's using this language. In fact, an early church leader said it this way. He's leading us to surrender all. What I love about salvation is it is completely free. Oh, church, would you hear me? Salvation is completely free. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. We are the lame, the blind, the maimed that were invited to the table, and we could never repay him. In fact, the only thing I contributed to my salvation was the sin that made it necessary. I'm not bringing anything to the table. I can't earn it. I can't deserve it. That's not what he's talking about here. But being a follower of Jesus will sometimes involve a cost. It will sometimes be, mean that I'm obeying when I'm misunderstood. I'm obeying when it hurts. And I'm obeying when I don't see what's ahead. I don't have it all figured out. I'm just putting it all on the table. I, 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 I'm from Vegas. I was, unfortunately, I was teaching blackjack to the other kids in my neighborhood. <laughs> I got in trouble for that. My parents were on the throw. Um, and, 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 and I, I think of things like this. We, we, there's a time in our faith where we go all in. Where we say, God, I'm giving you everything and you own it all. It's yours. It all belongs to you. Here's the great promise. When I can do that and give it all to God, he's responsible for what he owns. What I own, I gotta take care of. What he owns, he takes care of. I think some of our fear comes from we're still owning stuff instead of surrendering it to God. Sometimes that looks like surrendering it in prayer. There's some people maybe in your life right now that are, your fear and worry over them is keeping you up at night, but instead of worrying, you should surrender it in prayer and say, God, you own this relationship, you own this situation, and I'm giving it to you. And do you know what I give to God and I, I no longer own? I'm also not to take back into my hands. I don't need to manipulate. I don't need to nag people. I don't need to twist and, and, and argue and do any of that stuff because here's what it comes down to. It's about winning the poll of priorities. Who and what is first? He's Lord of all. I've given him everything. Story I, I shared a couple years ago. Some of you have heard this. There was a, a father and daughter in the store and my daughter, whenever I go shopping with her, she's looking for, now she's into slime. That's like her favorite thing. I think it's absolutely disgusting. It's sticky. It's all over. I don't, I don't get it. But anyway, um, and, and this, this father takes his daughter to the store, like a dollar store. And, and at the register at the store, there's these little plastic pearls. And she says, dad, can I have those? And the dad buys them for his daughter. 
And they get those pearls, she takes them, puts them on. They're, they're fake plastic pearls, puts them on. And she's loving these pearls, man. It's, it's a, she doesn't care that they're plastic. They mean so much to her. She wears them every day, wears them to bed at night. And one night her dad comes into her room and he asks her a question. He says, do you love me? She says, dad, of course I love you. You know I love you. She gives him a big, big hug and kisses him on the cheek. And she says, of course I love you. And he asks her another question. He says, will you give me your pearls? She says, well, dad, about that. I love you, but don't ask me for my pearls. He says, okay, honey, I love you, good night. The next night he comes back and he, he says, do you love me? And she says, of course, daddy. And they go through the whole thing and then he asks her again a second time, will you give me your pearls? And she says, no, dad, don't ask for those. I'll give you my stuffed animal. I'll give you my toys. I'll give you, but don't ask for my pearls. I love, these are my favorite. He says, okay, honey, and he kisses her good night and goes, the third night he comes and, and says the same thing to her. Do you love me? Will you give me your pearls? And she says, she starts breaking down. She says, dad, I love you here. You can have them. She gives her dad the pearls and she thinks she's losing something. But she doesn't know that her dad actually has a set of brand new, real, authentic pearls. And he makes an exchange. He takes her dollar store pearls that were valuable to her, but were far less valuable than what her father wanted to give her. And how many pearls are we holding on to when our father just says, I've got something even better? I've got something even better. If you'll give up ownership and give it to me and trust me and follow me with everything, trust me with your future, trust me with your relationships, trust me with your family, trust me with your business, give it to me. If we would do that, what would God give us in exchange? The last point is this. Jason, if you and the team would get ready, our worship team. Comes from a quote. It's one of my favorite quotes of all time. There's a man named Jim Elliott. Some of you may have heard of him. He's a missionary who was both a missionary and became a martyr. Gave his life for the cause of preaching the gospel to a completely unreached people group who had never heard the name of Jesus. And he and three others lost their lives sharing Jesus with them. But he has this statement that's always stuck with me. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Here's how I'm putting that in point four. It's a little bit longer, so keep it on the screen for a moment. When we lose what you, here's what I'm telling you. Lose what you cannot keep. Don't hold on to fear. Don't hold on to shame. Don't hold on to ownership even of the thing that you're called to surrender to God to gain what you cannot lose. It's actually true that we never lose and surrender. We never lose. We always gain something far greater. In fact, I'm just gonna give you a few things that I think we gain. We gain freedom. Do you know freedom has always come for me on the other side of surrender to God? Every time. Surrender. We think surrender means defeat. No, surrender in the kingdom of God means, God, I'm giving you ownership. You have it all. Have my life. Have my time. I, I, I know we have me time. Okay, let me preach that for just a second. 
Is it good to rest? 100%. It's actually biblical and it's commanded. It's in the Big Ten. We need to rest. Sometimes we gotta get alone. Even Jesus had to get alone. There's nothing wrong with that. But what if we justify some things as me time? Because we go, I deserve it. And we're actually willing to sell out as an excuse a feast at a table that we've been called to for something short-term and temporary. What if we lose what we can't keep to gain what we cannot lose? We gain freedom. We gain lasting peace. We gain authentic joy, real joy. I found joy on the other side of surrender. And you know what Jesus says at the end of that story? He begins to talk about salt. And it's just like to me, when I read this the first time, I didn't know why he's talking about salt. Verse 34, if we can go back to that. Luke 14, 34. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? He says that right after he says, give up ownership. (laughs) Why would he talk about that? Because the church is called to be salt and light. That's your impact. That's your influence in the world. That's, That's you reaching the world for Jesus. If it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good for nothing except soil, or not good for the soil, nor for manure. It is thrown away. And anyone hears, who has ears to hear should listen and understand. What's he talking about? He's talking about the mission of the church. You are called to make a difference. We're called to make a difference, and that comes as we exchange Maybe what's our priority for God's priority. I don't know what's keeping us from the feast, but maybe it's time today to lay down some excuses. The last thing, and I think this is the most important thing, and this is what I want us to pray into tonight. There is a man named Abraham who one day is given a choice. He wins a battle, gathers the spoil of that battle, and he comes and he encounters two different kings. One's the name, one is the king of Salem, Jerusalem, the other is the king of Sodom. One king is a king of a wicked place and the other king is a king of a righteous place. And when he comes to these two kings, he has spoil that belongs to both of their kingdoms from the, from the success of this battle. And when he comes to the king of Sodom, he says, here, I'm gonna give you everything that's yours because I don't want you to think that I owe you a thing or that you made Abraham rich. In other words, he's got his priorities clear. He's not looking to the wrong source to be his answer. And then when he comes to the king of Salem, he he actually gives a tithe, he gives an offering because the man was actually the priest of the Most High. It's a whole story, but here's what I want you to catch. In that time, if you didn't make a deal with your neighbors, you were vulnerable to danger. So every natural reason would say, Make a deal with the king of Sodom. Compromise who you are to to make a deal. But here's what Abraham says. I'm I'm gonna give it all to God. In fact, that's what tithing was. He's giving, you know what, I've had multiple people recently ask me questions about tithing. You know what tithing's about? It's about ownership. It's about God owning it all. And, and so here's, here's what happens. The very next chapter, Genesis 15.1. Can you just put that verse on the screen, Jessica? Genesis 15.1. This is why I told you that story. There's so much more to that story. But he has a choice. Will I 
Will I allow the world to be my source or will I trust God to be my source? And then here's what he gets in the exchange. And here's what you and I get in the exchange of surrender, of giving up ownership to God, of saying, God, I trust you with my whole life. I'm gonna follow you. What's a disciple? Follower of Jesus. It's just that simple. God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm your shield. Not the king of Sodom, not the world, not even depending on your neighbors. Neighbors are good. He says, they're not your source. I'm your shield and I'm your reward. Abraham could have thought, man, I should have kept some of the spoil of that battle. But God said, no, I'm your reward. What's the point? When we give everything to God, what do we get in exchange? Yeah, we get peace and yeah, we get joy and yeah, we get freedom. You know what's even better than all of that together is we get God himself. Do you know what you were singing when we said, God, I make room for you? Saying, God, I'm giving you ownership. I'm creating space. I'm surrendering. 2013, I got down in a field at one of the lowest points of my entire life. And I did something that I still to this day still remember. I got down on my knees in a park and it was literally like 11.30 at night, midnight, I don't remember. I had been praying, crying out to God because of I was just under the weight of the world with some issues I was facing that I could not fix and deal with on my own. But I knew that God was calling me to a feast and it looked like it was gonna cost it all. But I did something that I still remember. I got down on my knees in the middle of that park and I know there was probably people that thought, what is this weird dude doing in the middle of the park getting down on his knees? But I got down on my knees and I said, God, I gave you my yes 2003 when I said yes to you. And here, 10 years later, I'm saying yes to you again. I was already saved. Pretty Christian. In fact, I was a pastor. But what was I doing? I was saying, God, I'm re-upping my commitment. I'm renewing my, my commitment to a call that you gave me. And I believe that tonight, God's inviting us, whatever we're facing, wherever we're at, to give it all to him. In fact, would you stand to your feet? We're gonna, we're gonna close with some time of prayer. I'm asking our prayer team, our staff to come up here. Anybody that's available, our prayer team, if you come and, and to the altar, I believe tonight is a night for surrender. And tonight's a night for freedom. It's restored joy, it's peace. Maybe the thing that's been keeping you up at night that you've been worried about and struggling with. I remember in that same park, I was dealing with a I'll just, I'll just say it was a million dollar problem. It was actually a two million dollar problem that I didn't have an answer for. And God spoke to my heart and said, I'm gonna take care of that. And immediately I felt this weight lift. And I said to God, true story, I said to God, God, I'm so thankful that weight is now off my shoulders because you're gonna answer that and take care of that need. And the Holy Spirit immediately spoke to me. This is when you know it's not you because you didn't think, I wasn't smart enough to think of this. <laughs> The Holy Spirit immediately said, why was it ever on your shoulders to begin with? Oh, you're right, God. <laughs> Do you know what it was about? I was owning the problem instead of praying, instead of surrender, instead of trust. Right now, I wanted to ask you, whatever you're facing, 
Would you give up ownership to God? Can you trust him? Absolutely, because he's the God who loves you, cares about you, who's inviting you to the table. The feast is for you. Don't let your excuses keep you from God. I made too many mistakes. We've all sinned, all fallen short of the glory of God. I'm thankful for Jesus who rescues and restores. We serve an amazing, faithful God. But whatever your excuse is tonight, I want you to do something. I want you to come and lay it at an altar. Whatever the reason, and I'm gonna ask you to take a step. I know some of us have our kids with us. That's okay, bring them with you. But, but whatever it is, if, if God's speaking to your heart, respond in the moment. Don't wait. If God's stirring you, there's a reason for it. Holy Spirit, begin to reveal the excuses that have kept us from the feast, from the table. Some of you have a calling from God and it's the excuse that's keeping you from the call. I don't feel capable, I'm not gifted, no, no. Throw that out the window. I'm too young, I'm too old, I've got this problem, I got, no, no. Throw it out the window. He called you, he didn't make a mistake, he invited you to the feast. Jesus, we love you, we worship you. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.